Welcome to Ghoul's Night Out with your hostesses, Brandy and Jody. Hello, beautiful ghouls. Welcome. This is Brandy. I am here with my sister, Jody. Hello. So, we've been talking about something that we shared on the Facebook page. It is a uh, forest in Canada, and it was uh, Morris. Morristown and it is this weird crazy noise that is being you know emitted from this forest that these people are um recording and it is so scary yeah we're gonna attempt to play it for you if you haven't seen it already so here we go So that was it, and oh my god, that is so creepy. It gives me chills. I know. I mean, like you can't tell if that's an animal or a human or. I'm sure it's an animal, but it probably. It, it almost has a human quality to it, it. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does. If you guys, if you guys can't hear that, or if you didn't hear that, look it up. We actually shared it on our Facebook page, but it is, um, it is on disclose.tv and it is called just it says terrifying sounds recorded from a canadian forest and you can look it up on youtube as well it's on there but it is so creepy we just wanted to share that with you but yeah i couldn't imagine especially out my front door hearing something like yeah, that that's out of a forest Ugh, oh my god no. what were they Super saying creepy. at what they thought it was Oh, it said Bigfoot or aliens, but I mean, neither one of those may be a Bigfoot, but speaking of Bigfoot, what? <laughs> my work has recently switched over to a new email system. Yeah. And I was kind of just, you know, looking around on it and there's this button for contacts. So I clicked on it and it just it had like maybe seven or eight things listed on it but one of them was bigfoot <laughs> nice my, you can I have a uh, have a contact that's bigfoot fuck yeah <laughs> i'm sure it's some kind of program or something but i thought that was funny like you hey. have to invite him to my birthday party <laughs> please <laughs> that is funny <laughs> i was like hey i was friends with bigfoot and i didn't even know it that's great okay so this week i wanted to kind of do a a little bit like i did last week with kind of the theme so i wanted to do you know facts about one thing and then scary stories about it later but i couldn't find anything on this so i'm just gonna do some fascinating facts about the brooklyn bridge cool and then I have a little blurb about some ghosts on there, but I couldn't find any ghost stories about it, which is unfortunate. So, um, but anyway, the first fact I have, and this idea came from my husband Aaron. Yeah, Aaron. Gotta, I gotta call him out because he gave me this idea. Um, the Brooklyn Bridge needed a little bribery to get started. 
In its initial concept, the Brooklyn Bridge had an honorable goal, providing safe passage across the rough and frigid East River for Brooklyn residents who worked in Manhattan. In the 1850s, Persian-born engineer John Augustus Roebling dreamed of a suspension bridge that would make the commute easier for these working-class New Yorkers. I don't know where the bribery came in, but that was all that for that. Mm -hmm. uh, next one, the bridge has gone by several names. Brooklyn Bridge seems like a natural handle for the hybrid suspension and cable stayed bridge connecting Lower Manhattan to its neighborhood across the East River, but the name evolved over time. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle first referred to the project as the Brooklyn Bridge in 1867, but its earlier days it was still referred to as the Great East River Bridge, as well as the Great East River Suspension Bridge. At its 1883 dedication, it took on the clunky official name of the New York and Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn wouldn't become a part of New York City until 1898. Brooklyn Civic Pride led to the official name being changed to Brooklyn Bridge in 1915. Cool. Uh, Roebling paid a high price for the bridge. The Brooklyn Bridge was Roebling's brainchild, but he wouldn't live to see its completion. While making measurements for the future bridge in 1869, a ferry crushed Roebling's foot. The engineer developed tetanus as a result of these wounds and passed away in July of 1869. Man, it would suck to live back then. Fuck yeah. You just get one little accident yeah. and your foot falls off, and then the next thing you know, you're dead. That's no fun. No. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Roebling's son took his place and had equally bad luck. After Roebling's death, his son Washington Augustus Roebling stepped in as the bridge project's chief engineer. The youngest Roebling soon developed a problem of his own. To build the structure's massive foundation, workers labored in caissons, or sealed chambers that kept the riverbed dry and allowed for digging. Breathing and working deep in the caissons required compressed air, which meant workers who came up from the depths were vulnerable to caisson disease, better known today as the bends. Oh, yeah. That's what happens when you're in the water. Deep, deep, deep water. Yeah, yeah. And you come up with all kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. um, in 1872, Roebling came down with his uh, decompression sickness and was confined to bed. But yeah, they had these um, chambers that they would work in. So they would be lowered in, you know, underground for all day. You know, they would work yeah. down there all day and then come up with all kinds of problems. Uh, the project became an early feminist victory. After Washington Roebling fell ill, the third Roebling stepped in as the de, uh, de facto chief engineer of the bridge, his wife, Emily Warren Roebling. Although Emily began her tenure running orders between her husband, who was laid up in a Brooklyn Heights apartment with the view of the construction and his workers, she soon took bona fide command of the project. Overseeing the design, construction, and business management of the tremendous undertaking, she is now widely recognized as the pioneering female engineer and driving force behind the bridge. Following her work on the bridge, Emily went on to earn a degree in law at, from New York University and published essays in favor of gender equality. Go, girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next one, a rooster made the first trip across the bridge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Technically, the rooster was tied for first. Emily Warren Roebling earned the honor of being the first human to make the trip across the historic bridge, riding proudly in a carriage a week before its official opening in front of an audience that included President Chester A. Arthur. Sitting in Emily's lap all the while was a rooster, a symbol of good luck. Hmm. I did not know that. No, I didn't know that either. Next one, the Brooklyn Bridge was the world's first steel wire suspension bridge. John Augustus Roebling himself is credited with introducing the steel wire innovation into bridge design. The engineer proudly referred to steel as the metal of the future. Uh, next one, a sneaky contractor introduced low quality wire into the mix. Shame. Mm-hmm. Construction materials were a Accumulated under the watch of John Augustus Roebling, who failed to notice that he had been swindled from his cape on his cable wire. Contractor J. Lloyd High snuck a substantial amount of inferior, even faulty wire into the mix. The flaw went unrecognized until after the wires were incorporated into the standing bridge, at which point replacing them was impossible. Instead of the construction team doubled down on its security measures, introducing far more wire than calculations deemed necessary while working desperately to keep the discovery from reaching the public. For his part, High escaped prosecution for this crime, but was arrested and convicted for forgery in an unrelated case. So what a dick. What a dick. He's a loser. Okay, anyway. Karma will get you. Yeah, no shit. Next one, the bridge was a site of a stampede soon after opening. The Brooklyn Bridge opened to the public on May 24, 1883, and enjoyed a fairly harmonious first five days in operation. On May 30th, however, disaster struck when either a woman tripping or a rumor of a pending collapse sparked a panic among the massive crowd of pedestrians crossing the bridge. The mob's uh, frantic race to escape the bridge resulted in the deaths of 12 people and serious injuries to 36 more. Jesus. So they're saying either a woman, it says a woman tripping or a rumor of pending collapse. Okay, if people panicked because a woman tripped, (laughs) like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> oh my god! Oh she my god. accidentally she like her heel broke, and then I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> she be like, what? My heel broke. <laughs> so I'm gonna say it's a rumor of pending collapse. Yeah, that sounds more plausible. Okay. Poor women get blamed for everything. I know. Either a woman tripping. <laughs> God damn it. Or someone said the thing might collapse. I'm going to say someone said it was going to collapse. <laughs> Poor woman. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Just like what I do. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Next one, 21 elephants walked across the Brooklyn Bridge in 1884. Mm-kay. How do you convince one of America's busiest cities that its newest bridge can offer safe transport to many of its commuters? Elephants. Since the most common have 
haven for trained elephants in the 1880s was a circus tent the city called upon entrepreneurial showman pt barnum to march 21 elephants across the brooklyn bridge in may of 1884 to show just how sturdy the span was okay so not even a year after people panicked because the bridge might collapse they had to prove them i bet people were panicking for almost a year and they were like okay well yeah we're gonna have to get some elephants in here (laughs) asap (laughs) (laughs) okay next one compartment compartments in the bridge were used for storing wine if you think a nice glass of wine would be perfect companion for a moonlit stroll across the river, this is the bridge for you. Engineers built sizable vaults that were up to 50 feet tall into the bridge beneath its anchorages. Thanks to their cool temperatures, these granite-walled storage spaces made perfect wine cellars, and they were rented out to the public until World War One. The company A. Smith & Co. Productions forked over $500 a month as rent for the Brooklyn side vaults, while the liquor distributor Lydis Brothers paid a pretty paid a pretty five thousand dollars for the prime real estate beneath the Manhattan Anchorage. I wonder if there's any still there. I don't know. I really doubt it. I, I would think. I wouldn't think so. I mean, I guess you never know. That'd be cool to go into, though. Let's yeah, see. it would. Uh, next one. Another compartment was turned into a fallout shelter. At some point during the Cold War, one of the bridge's compartments transformed into a survival shelter stocked with food and water rations and medical supplies. After fading into obscurity after the close of the Cold War, this fallout shelter was rediscovered in 2006 during a routine structural inspection of the bridge. That would be cool to come upon. Mm -hmm. Next one, nobody can figure out exactly what color the bridge was. Upon the announcement of a plan to repaint the Brooklyn Bridge in 2010, controversy erupted controversy erupted over the landmark's original color. Some historian <laughs> some historians insisted that the young suspension bridge wore a proud buff color renamed Brooklyn Bridge Tan for the modern makeover. The option of Queensboro tan drew groans on the other side of the battle old documents and hand-colored lithographs supported the argument that the icon's original color was a Rollins red a hue derived from the iron oxide from the eponymous mm. oh mountain town <laughs> of southern (laughs) wyoming in the end brooklyn bridge tan won out so brooklyn bridge tan is a color apparently okay next one the brooklyn bridge stands where george washington slept the manhattan anchorage of the brooklyn bridge features a bronze plaque commemorating the land below as the former location of the country's first presidential mansion known alternately as the sam osgood house was the walter franklin house the lower manhattan mansion served as the home of george washington during the first 10 months as america's commander-in-chief the residence stood at the intersection of cherry street and pearl street for 85 years before its demolition in 1856. next one the brooklyn bridge was the longest in the world for 20 years 
Just two years before starting work on the New York project, John Augustus Roebling made a bit of suspension bridge history with the humbly named John A. Roebling Suspension Bridge, which spanned 1,057 feet over the Ohio River between Covington, Kentucky and Cincinnati. Roebling put that endeavor to shame with the Brooklyn Bridge, which bested its predecessor's principal span by about 50%, boasting a main span of (laughs) 1,595 feet and a total measurement of 5,989 feet The Brooklyn Bridge held the superlative of longest suspension bridge in the world for two decades. When it finally lost its title in 1903, its successor was none other than its fellow East River crossing the Williamsburg Bridge. The latter's main span bested the Brooklyn Bridge by only four and a half feet, though its total length reached 7,308 feet. And then, like I said, um, I couldn't find any specific ghost stories, but I did find this little blurb. People have heard footsteps walking behind them, and there's a guy whose face is sort of shrouded in darkness, says a tour guide. Um, But the closer you look and the longer you look, the more you realize his face isn't shrouded in darkness at all. It's just not there. The Brooklyn Bridge, once opened in 1883, is fraught with tragedies, supposedly proud by the ghost of former workers, as well as jumpers who have leapt to their death from its spires. Hundreds of thousands of people have walked across this bridge in its history. Many have reported unusual sights and sounds. A common occurrence is people calling the police to report jumpers. They all heard the sounds and screams and splashing water below them, thinking it must be a suicide attempt, as they call authorities. But when police arrived, no one is no one is in the water. Some believe what these witnesses actually heard are the sounds of people being trampled by the stampede, but this does not explain the sound of splashing water. They might be instead connected to many suicides that have taken place at the bridge. Another common sight at the night are dark figures or shadow people walking in front of people as they cross the bridge. These figures are sometimes seen floating mid-air and then they disappear around corners or just vanish in front of witnesses. By far, some of the most compelling sightings um, is of a man with no head. This figure has been seen countless times and is said to wander the bridge. There is truth behind these reports. Two of the 27 men who lost their lives during the construction were riggers that had the misfortune to be standing in the wrong spot at the wrong time. One of the heavy cables snapped and whipped out where it killed both men. One of the two had his head sliced right off. That reminds me of that movie. um, I think it was called Ghost Ship. Yeah. Did you ever see that? I think so. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. I just watched um, one of the Final Destinations. Yeah. And there was there was one where, you know, a, a cable is going everywhere and it just slices this guy in half. Yeah. So, yeah. Apparently that shit actually happened oh, yeah. on here. Yeah, so. it does. I think there's something on, like, garage doors. Oh. That if you don't do it right, that I mean, there's a cable or something that oh my god, can be bad. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so those were my facts for the week. Alrighty, I'm gonna do my stories 
this week about South Dakota. Okay. But I have another thing that I wanted to do. Um, Are you spiritually gifted? I don't think so. Well, these are, um, it says, spiritually gifted people may be affected by these seven strange things. Okay, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. I want to know. So, one of them is uh, the lunar cycles affect them. Okay. Spiritually gifted people may have difficulty sleeping or may even be restless. Hmm during lunar cycles cool um the time between 3 and 4 a.m gives them sleeping troubles this is known as the witching hour it is believed to be where magical powers are at their strongest which means it could boost magical activity or make weird things happen interesting Mm -hmm. oh why does it have to be at that time that sucks that's when it's like when everything happens. yeah um animals are drawn to them Animals have senses that are stronger than humans. They are able to smell emotions like anger or kindness. They are able to sense our aura, which makes them gravitate towards someone who is spiritually gifted. That's fucking cool. Yeah. I love that. Their emotions often affect their physical surroundings. (laughs) When you have a spiritual gift, you are constantly facing the challenge of controlling your emotions. Because when your emotions are intense, you may cause things to break or electronics to stop working. That would be crazy. I would like some carry shit. Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Strangers and wacky people regularly show up and approach them. Ooh. Spiritually gifted people attract strangers who need help or healing, whether that be spiritual or mental. Do you remember when we went to, it was right after mommy died. Was it the thrift store? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that lady walking up to us. She walked up to us and I thought, I thought it was weird. I I thought it was a sign at first because mommy just died. Yeah. And I was like, you know, looking for comfort. And I don't even remember what she said, but she was like, wasn't she talking to me? I think so. I don't know what I don't remember what she said, but she said some weird shit to me, and I was like, "Okay, I yeah, it was just really super weird." I think when she came up, you were it was I wasn't there, right? I think so. Yeah, and, and she then came a little up, bit later, I walked up, and then she said something else. Yeah, she. I said I told her that you know you were my sister and she was like oh yeah i can totally tell and you know she was i don't even remember what she was saying but it was like it meant nothing like it she was just like you have like she was telling me like i had some sort of energy or something yeah it was something strange like it was weird yeah 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 Yeah. i i when i was doing this i that that's weird yeah that immediately reminded me of that they sense when the weather is about to change, even if it's not forecasted. Huh. They have a natural ability to sense when a storm is coming, even if it looks like a perfectly sunny day. It could be because their gift is connected to nature. That's cool. And they strongly sense negative energy in a room. They know immediately if something bad happened in a room before they got there, or what people think and feel when they look at them. Yeah, I'm not spiritually gifted at all. I'm... <sighs> I'm not either. I mean, some of these things, I guess, kind of apply, but not, no, yeah, not, no. like, yeah, not enough to make a difference. No, no, not at all. But someone listening might be. 
Maybe, yeah. Tell let us. us. Know. Yeah, let us know. Ghouls Night Out Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your stories. We don't Please care what it is. Send us your stories. We don't care what it is. We don't care. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I guess yelling at people ain't going to get me anywhere, is it? Our listeners know us by now, and we will yell at you, and we will whine, and we will beg. We don't care. Please. <laughs> All right. Ghosts of South Dakota. Orpheum Theater in Suey Falls. The Orpheum Theater in Suey Falls is said to be home to a ghost known as Larry. The historic theater was built in 1913 and was sold to the Suey Falls Community Playhouse in 1954. It was around this time that Larry first started to make his presence known. The new owner stumbled on an old and very ornate casket in the theater's boiler room. What? But when they returned to clean out the room, it was gone. What? (gasps) The vampire took it. Somewhere else. They're like, oh no, they found my casket. I gotta hide it somewhere else. (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) This became the norm around the theater with strange objects appearing and disappearing at random. (gasps) What? In 1959, things stepped up a gear. An actor called Ray Loftusness spotted the figure of a man bathed in a blue-green light who was standing on the balcony pointing at him. He Uh, then felt a blast of cold air before being knocked unconscious by a falling sandbag. (gasps) Twice. What? (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Larry has also manifested as a shadow man in photographs from time to time. Nobody knows. Wait. What's happening? No, this is what it says. Okay. Nobody knowns, though, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, who Larry is. Nobody knowns, though. <laughs> <laughs> he was just given that name at some point. There's... <laughs> There is one popular tale which suggests that he could be an actor who disappeared in the middle of a dress rehearsal. Apparently, his castmates heard a gunshot in the light booth and went to investigate, finding a pool of blood, but nobody. Ooh, weird. Whether or not this is a true story, one thing can be agreed upon by most Orpheum Theater is one of the most haunted buildings in South Dakota. Okay, I know we've talked about, like, why like libraries and we figured you know it, it used to be another building but theaters theaters seem to be yes what is that about i don't know well you okay theaters lighthouses right um which lighthouses i can kind of see because they're because the people that watch a lighthouse i mean they're the only ones there there's like nobody else around so right but I mean, and, I, don't I don't know. That would that would mean less energy to me. I mean, I know when I'm alone, I'm totally boring. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. That's weird. I don't know. There just seems to be certain kinds of places that, and of course, you know, the sanitariums and Sh- well, those those jails. Can, that's major energy. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, and I guess I could 
possibly because you know uh acting and music and arts in general affect people differently anyway um like like me for instance if i hear if if i hear someone like sing uh well Mm -hmm. i immediately get emotional and teary and you know i i just it affects me yeah yeah so i can see and i remember i've been to plays before that have made me cry and you know feel emotions and stuff like that so maybe that but like you're right lighthouses what is that i that's weird i I wonder why Unless it's the water generating electricity yeah, water and energy. Yeah, water is supposed to. It could be that, or I don't know. It's don't crazy. Know. But yeah, theaters. What the heck? And apparently colleges. Oh Those yeah, come up a lot too. Huh. Interesting. Mount Marty College. Um, Mount Marty College sits on the bluffs overlooking the Missouri River. It is a Catholic benedictine liberal arts college which was founded back in 1936 it is a relatively small school with a student body of around a thousand the paranormal tales seem to center on whitby hall a residence that first opened in 1955 it is said to be haunted by the ghost of a man who wears gray polyester pants several men in blue suits and a white mist-like figure with no defined shape Ooh, that's weird the hauntings got so intense at one point that room 200 was locked up and left empty for years as this seemed to be where most activity happened. There is also said to be the spirit of a young woman haunting the elevator in Corby Hall, believed to be the spirit of a woman who disappeared under her mysterious circumstances. Weird. Why does several men in blue suits freak me out? I don't know. That's What's like with the men in black. Polyester. <laughs> Maybe that's the scary part. <laughs> that's really scary. <laughs> but when you said that, it reminded me of, like the men in black. Yeah. Men, is... Several men in blue suits. That's creepy. That is creepy. That's like alien shit. That's, that's what that reminds me of. Not ghosts. Yeah. Because, you know, several men in blue suits th- makes me think of... They all look the same. They all act like, you know, hey, this is how humans act. This is how Mr. humans are Smith? supposed to act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Devil's Gulch in Gerritsen. Local folklore states that in 1876, the outlaw Jesse James leaped across the 18-foot gorge known as Devil's Gulch on his horse while trying to escape capture after one of his many robberies. Many have said that such a jump would be impossible, but others believe that a horse could definitely clear the gorge. It is actually said to be haunted by the ghosts of two lovers who died there in each other's arms. The story goes that sometime in the 1800s, a white outlaw and a band of Indians kidnapped a lady named Nellie Harding and took her to the gorge. Her fiancé managed to find them and actually was successful in killing most of the girl's kidnappers. Unfortunately, both he and Nellie were fatally wounded in the melee. Hmm. Since that day, visitors have reported hearing moans and screams, as well as seeing an apparition of the lovers. Ooh, weird. Hmm. Easton's Castle in Aberdeen. 
Easton's Castle is a yellow brick house that was built sometime between 1886 and 1889. It was originally a 30-room, three-story Queen Anne-style mansion, but in 1902 it was bought by Carol Francis Easton, who had the exterior clad in yellow bricks. Following the death of Easton and his wife, their son became a recluse and seldom left the house. It deteriorated rapidly and people were saying it was haunted before he had even passed away. Since then, there have been reports of Mrs. Easton's ghost, the spirit of the family housekeeper, and perhaps the most concerning, a phantom that chases people wielding a knife. Um, that's not cool. No. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Like a phantom isn't scary enough. Yeah, really. (laughs) No running with sharp objects. Maybe that's how he died. What? He was running with scissors. <gasps> Maybe. And tripped and fell? Yeah. Oh, no. Always listen to your mother. Yes. Listen to your mother. <laughs> Call your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Homestake Opera House in Lead. Homestake Opera House is thought to be among the most haunted buildings in South Dakota, with visitors and employees alike reporting all sorts of paranormal activity in the old building, including hearing disembodied voices and seeing full-body apparitions of the resident ghosts. Opera House? Isn't that basically a theater? Yeah, pretty much. What the heck? That's weird. Lucky Nugget Casino in Deadwood. Another of the buildings in Deadwood that certainly deserves a spot on any list of the most haunted locations in South Dakota would be the Lucky Nugget Casino. This is a favorite spot for paranormal investigators, and over the years there have been more than enough evidence gathered here to say for certain that the building is haunted. Just some of the activity that has been recorded at the Lucky Nugget Casino through the years includes the scent of perfume, suddenly appearing and then disappearing, phantom footsteps, and shadow people. I don't know. Some old ladies that go to the casino might have some pretty strong perfume. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, you might just get a whiff of that. Well, if they're... If it's while they're doing a paranormal investigation, that should have been oh, gone. Oh, yeah. I guess, it, yeah. By then. There shouldn't be anybody around, right? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Suisan Hospital in Rapid City. Suisan Hospital opened in 1898 as a school for Native Americans, but in 1933 it became a sanitarium. In 1939 it was turned into a hospital for Native Americans suffering from TB. It closed down in the 60s, but later reopened as a hospital, which is said to be haunted by the ghosts of children buried on the property. There are hundreds of graves, many unmarked, and they are believed to be the cause of the children crying and apparitions on the third floor. Oh, I don't like children. Uh, yeah, I don't either. And hospitals, I, I could totally see oh, hospitals definitely. being haunted. Definitely. Mount Rushmore Brewing Company in Hill City. Mount Rushmore Brewing Company was once a restaurant, but the building now houses a Harley Davidson store. Huh. It has also formerly served as a funeral home and a crematorium, so oh. it is certainly no stranger to death. Yeah. Employees say objects move around on their own, and there are unexplained noises, especially in the basement where the remains of the cremation furnace are still visible. Ooh, Although it didn't say cremation fir- furnace, it said creation furnace, <laughs> which that in its own is creepy. I think Who's that would creating be creating anything in a furnace. <laughs> Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
no, no. <laughs> Is that what it said? Who knows, though? Who knows, though? <laughs> Nobody knows, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Dakota Theater in Yankton. Dakota Theater opened in 1902 and has had various owners and name changes since that time. However, one thing that never changes is the fact that the building is one of the most haunted theaters in South Dakota. Cast members and customers have seen a spectral face floating in the auditorium. Stop it! And have heard disembodied screams as well. Okay, my next one... I'm just going to say it like it looks. Okay. <laughs> Old Minnehaha Courthouse Museum in Suey Falls. It looks like Minnehaha. I, I, it's probably right. But it sounds funny. <laughs> Old Minnehaha Courthouse is now a museum which is said to be haunted by various different spirits making it one of the most haunted museums in south dakota staff and visitors alike have reported hearing someone fall down the stairs but when they go to look there's nobody there there are also disembodied voices and phantom footsteps moving from room to room some visitors also claim to have seen a man sweeping the floor of one of the courtrooms who then vanishes as they approach him oh weird how sucky is that yeah you die and you just keep coming back to sweep no that's That's horrible horrible. yeah poor guy hotel alex johnson in rapid city hotel alex johnson was opened in 1928 amidst amidst great fanfare hailed as the showplace of the west some of the famous guests who frequented frequented (laughs) frequented Anyway, the hotel. (laughs) (laughs) President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Delano. Oh, sorry. Alex Johnson himself died in the hotel in 1938, but according to hotel staff, he never really left, and he isn't the only spirit hanging around. There are two rooms in particular where the ghosts are said to be particularly active, room 802 and room 812. Huh. In room 802, a young couple reported hearing phantom music, their dishwasher, and the feeling of being choked. Oh, God. They had That's their, not their dishwasher. No. They had their pet dogs with them who were behaving strangely and getting agi- agitated when in the room. In room 812, the windows tend to pop open on their own, and sometimes guests get out of the shower and find help me scrawled in the fogged up mirror Mm, that's creepy this is attributed to the fact that a bride to be staying in the room jumped from the window on her wedding day why is that always they're just you know women everywhere jumping out of windows yeah on their wedding day yeah stupid just don't get married exactly (laughs) (laughs) if it's that depressing i mean come on there's something wrong there. <laughs> Bullock Hotel in Deadwood. The whole town of Deadwood is pretty haunted, so there are a few buildings from the town that belongs among the most haunted places in South Dakota. One of those buildings is Bullock Hotel, which is said to be haunted by its namesake, Seth Bullock, who was the first sheriff of Deadwood. 
<laughs> he is joined there by several other spirits as well. The basement is the most active area where staff report hearing the piano play on its own and where glasses and dishes frequently get thrown around. Ooh, that's crazy. Yeah. See, like hotels and museums, I could totally see. Oh, yeah. Hauntings. There's so many different people that go in and out every day. Right, with like suicides in hotels yeah. and even people just dying of natural causes and then the haunted artifacts and you know energy that's connected to artifacts and stuff that's museums i can mm-hmm. see that yeah but yeah theaters i don't get it i don't know i don't know was that all you had yep that's it oh okay all right this week i did um grown-ups describe imaginary friends that may not be all imaginary Ooh. so my first one insisted karen be treated like a real person from blue thunder six I was an imaginative kid and had several imaginary friends, but my first one was different from the rest. When I was two or three, which is super young. I don't even remember when I was two or three. Yeah. I had an imaginary friend named Karen. My whole family knew about her, and I would insist she be treated like a real person, unlike my later fantasy folks. My mom would hear me carrying on whole conversations with her alone and was always a little curious where I come up with the whole thing. It seemed more complex than a toddler pretend. Like I genuinely thought she was a person and that people were being inconsiderate by not acknowledging her. Sometimes to humor me, my parents would out of the blue be like well hello karen and i'd glare at them replying she's not here right now (laughs) (laughs) we ended up moving and once we did karen wasn't mentioned anymore since i was young i don't remember too much just a warm feeling like an old friend my mom asked me about it when i got older and i told her i would confidently remember making up my later imaginary friends but not karen she told me she always wondered if i was seeing something she wasn't but no harm ever came of it so she didn't worry well i'm in my 30s now and i was reading an article about a case that changed how soon you could report a missing person as i read I realized it was sort of near where I used to live, and the girl was named Karen. I didn't think much of it. It was a city. Crime happens. As I later, or as I read further, I learned that Karen's murderer murderer had buried her body in the town I had lived. At that point, not expecting much, but rather curious, I texted my mom for the address of our old house. As it turns out, Karen was murdered, then buried about a mile and a half from our old home. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that I'm 100% sure this Karen was my Karen, and the whole thing had happened a little over a decade before my parents had even bought the house. My mom had never heard of the case, and it would have long been out of headlines. I still haven't found a picture of the girl and sometimes wonder if I would recognize her even though she died before I was even born. Regardless, the whole thing was a sad story, and the young lady didn't deserve such an awful end. If she was my Karen, even sadder, her spirit lingered and only had a toddler for a friend oh yeah, that's horrible next one is called sarah may not have been so imaginary after all from lego arcus not imaginary per se i used to break into houses as a little kid i lived in a really rundown part of town with a huge amount of foreclosed and empty houses also i would pry off window screens and if the windows were unlocked i would crawl inside them i was about five or six 
What? It's that's insane to me. I know. You know. When was this? Did it have a it, year? No. I'm just want, I'm just curious because have you ever heard any of the stories Daddy told about when he was little? Oh yeah, he would go out when he was like five or six yeah. and yeah, steal cigarettes. And, oh, I know. Yeah, I'm like what? I know. Insane. I know. Yeah, it's completely different oh. from when we grew up. There ain't no. I wouldn't even. Peyton was like. 15 before I, I let him go outside without me there. I know. I know things are really different. <laughs> well, you know, when he when he started, you know, driving, being over over six foot tall, I kind of, you know, let up on the reins a little. <laughs> yeah, and then driving too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, anyway, it says, um, in one abandoned house, there was always this young Hispanic girl hanging out in an upstairs bedroom. I would go up there, and she would talk to me, and we'd play tag and hide-and-go-seek and truth or dare. I'd always invite her home for dinner, but she said she couldn't leave because she had to wait for her mom to come home. Aww. I guess it made sense to me at the time, but when I think back, there was nothing in that house. Not even silverware in the kitchen drawers. The carpets were all mildewed, and seri- it was seriously empty. I don't think she could have really been there. Her name was Sarah. I don't think she ever told me her last name. She always wore these cut-off tank top shirts. I really can't remember what of, but I'm fairly certain they were graphic tees. And always these pastel orange spandex shorts. She had a bobbed haircut where the hair was shorter in the back than in the front. She was missing a couple of teeth in the front of her mouth, and she was a little chubby, especially in the stomach. Which is very specific. Yeah. So that's insane that poor thing though i mean i hope she wasn't i oh my gosh i don't, I don't know waiting for her mom for yeah. eternity oh my that gosh sucks. all right next one tom followed him everywhere this is from overdose baby blue as soon as i could start speaking speaking i had an imaginary friend called tom i would set places at the table for him talk to him during long bus rides, ask his opinion about things, and basically treat him like an invisible brother, even though I had three other siblings. I don't remember any of this. My mom grew up concerned that I wasn't developing socially, so she took me to a child psychiatrist. This I remember. They asked me about Tom and why I saw him, if I saw anyone else in the same manner, and asked me to sort out some stuff with puzzles. I stopped talking to Tom after that. Fast forward about 10 years after her divorce, my mom gets really into spirituality. I thought it was a load of crap until she played a recording of a particular psychic reading session to me. The psychic was new and really interested in me for some reason. She said she saw a young dark haired man watching over me. She asked me if the name Tim meant anything. She asked if I was a Gemini. And she asked if I had a large birthmark on my side. All of this was correct. The psychic inferred that Tim or Tom and I were twins in a past life. The birthmark I carry is apparently how he died to come to watch over me in this life. As a child, I could see him and interact with him, but I lost that gift as I was conditioned not to see him. I'm skeptical of such claims, but hearing the psychic pinpoint some information made the hair rise on the back of my head. Also, I guess if you're out there watching over me, thanks, twin bro. (laughs) 
Uh, next one, Charlie was a little man who went everywhere from Renob151. I had one when I was like four. He was, he was Charlie. My parents always asked what he looked like and I would say he was a little man. He went everywhere with me. Only I was an only child at the time. It was to the point that I would cry if my mom sat on Charlie while we were eating lunch. <laughs> when we moved away, Charlie didn't come with us. My mom asked where she where he was and I told her that he was going to be a mannequin at Sears. Oh. Years yeah. later, we found out that a little person had committed suicide in our house before we moved in. Oh no. I just got chills. Oh, I know. <sighs> That is creepy. And why did he think he was going to be a mannequin at Sears? That's creepy, too. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Okay. (laughs) Next one is Bra and Underpants Girl from Johnny Psychotic. When I was between three and six, I had three imaginary friends. Two were the usual little kid stuff. They were invisible and friendly and only heard them in my head. My third friend, she was not invisible. I could see her. I called her bra and underpants girl because that's all she had on. I can still see her in my mind clear as day. She looked almost black and white like black lacy underwear contrasts with pale skin and what I always thought was dirt around her frazzled blonde hair. I can't even wrap my head around how I even have been able to come up with a friend like that at three. While my other two friends were nice, she wasn't. She wasn't mean, just really sad, constantly. I asked if she, I asked where she lived, and she'd say, those woods, and point to the forest behind my house. I'd tell her she could stay at my house, and she'd say, I can't. It wasn't a big deal when I stopped seeing her either. Do you think it was something more? I think that girl probably died, and she's buried in the woods. Yeah. That's so creepy. Okay, next one is Skeleton Dog Scared Off Everyone from SPS Delta. When I was a kid, maybe five to eight years old, I had an imaginary friend that was a skeleton dog. It would race everywhere and always be beside me when I reached my destination. The animals in the woods around me were afraid of it. (laughs) Yeah, that's creepy. Next one is She Lived There Before from $5 Car Wash. Where do these people come up with these? I don't know. (laughs) I had loads of imaginary friends when I was a kid. kid. Most of them were personifications of my dolls or favorite characters from movies and TV. But I remember one with a completely unique personality from when I was about nine living in Virginia. She was called Christine or something similar. And as much as I can remember, she lived in the house before we moved in and had long pigtails and was close to my age. I didn't think much of it until really recently when my parents and I were talking about when we used to live in that house. My mom told me that she used to hear footsteps and a child's voice coming from upstairs while I was at school. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) My dad told me he once found an old photo of a little girl at the bottom of one of the closets while he was cleaning. Unfortunately, he couldn't tell me if she had pigtails. Hmm. Creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, next one is called Becky Said She Hated Her from Kaleidoscope Eyes 907. I had an imaginary friend when I was five or six. Her name was Becky Reader. 
She was maybe eight or nine, had curly brown hair, and was slightly pudgy. I had her as a friend for about three years. She would, she and I would hang out downstairs of my house and color, play with dolls, and sometimes play outside. She would never come upstairs, though, and I never found out why. She would just go away when I went upstairs. One night, she invited me to a party. I was really excited because she said I could meet her family. She had a mom and dad and grandparents, an older sister, and an aunt. She told me that the party was by the water, which was about a 10-minute drive from my house, and that it would be fun. I told her I couldn't leave, and she said we could sneak out. I started out the door when my mom heard and came to investigate. She asked me what I was doing, and I told her I was going with Becky to a party to meet her family. My mom told me I couldn't go, and I threw a fit because I really wanted to go. My mom picked me up and went to take me to bed, but I couldn't stop crying, so she brought me into her room to sleep in her bed. A while later, I calmed down and was just lying there watching the ceiling when I heard a noise by the bedroom door. Becky was upstairs, and she was standing there. I waved at her and whispered, I'm sorry. Becky said, I hate you, and walked out the room. I never saw her again after that. I've tried Googling deaths in the area or asking around, but nobody knows anything. So it was interesting. I talked to my mom about it when I was older, and she said she was very alarmed because I was so adamant about going to this party, even though it wasn't real. I don't like the fact that this ghost or whatever was trying to lure her to the water absolutely and then made her feel bad about it yeah i don't think that was a ghost i yeah that was that's creepy i just got chills because yeah i mean yeah especially she was five or six Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm, no creepy okay next one they vanished when the dog arrived from summer 894 i remember that i was always excited and would rush to get to bed something a kid never does i would ask to ask to go to bed early so i could see them my bedroom was set in a sort of u-shape my bed was in the middle and everything was set around facing me i didn't have a tv in my room and the and only had the basics I remember lying in bed, being pitch black, and the only light coming was through my curtains when two kids would come out. I don't know where they came from. They seemed to step out of the darkness and would sit on my bed and talk to me about my day, calling me Silly Billy. My dog Sophie would come up rushing into my room and jump on the bed. I would calm her down, kissing and petting her, but upon looking up, the girls were always gone. I think my room was being decorated with new wallpaper and I stayed in my parents' bed for a few nights. They put me to bed with some warm cookies and milk and a Disney film on their TV. The two girls would come out from my room and sit in my parents' bed and watch the film with me. I remember grabbing some cookies and a glass of milk and offering it to them and one of them looked really happy, shocked, and the older girl shaking her head saying, we can't. They both wore white night dresses, and their hair was in a bun. They never had any shoes on, and they would come to see me almost every night until I was about seven. I honestly can't remember their names. This was over 20 years ago. They always seemed terrified when my dog would run into the room and vanish. My mom later found out that 15 years before, two young girls got attacked by the neighbor's dog in our yard and died. Oh my gosh, I just got chills. I know! Holy shit. Okay. 
Next one. His name was Tim, and he lived in the basement from something I can't pronounce. I already don't like Tim. Yeah, what's up with that? (laughs) At four, my parents divorced. My dad, with many resources, moved into the attic of his comically pink house in a bad side of town. One day, he hung a tire swing from the tree in the backyard, and I had a lot of fun with that, and I remember this guy living in the basement of the house would hold conversations with me out of the basement window while I played. Oh, no. His name was Tim. He yeah, had a go fuck off. <laughs> he had a yellow jacket and a bright pink helmet every time I saw him. Pink which helmet was every time I went outside. That's weird. Yeah. Once in a while, he would ask me to climb in the window, but I always said, "I don't think so, Tim," because <laughs> fuck I thought off, Tim. <laughs> Because I thought it was funny that he'd act really angry and mad. I asked my dad recently about Tim, and he said that no one lived in the basement, and it was used for storage. I don't know if Tim was real or not, but I'm glad I didn't go into the basement. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Next one is they followed him around the yard from Heaven's Magic. When I was about five, I had a pair of imaginary friends, a brother and a sister, both seven, who only I could see. I lived on a bend in a river about half a mile down a dirt road in a wooded area. When I got older, I found out the land we lived on used to be a trading post back in pioneer days. They only showed up when I was outside to play, and I remember they wouldn't play on the swing set with me, just play with sticks and rocks and dirt and next to it while I swung. Then, when I got off the swing set, they would follow me around our yard, but they never traveled outside the yard. Hmm. That's it. Next one, an imaginary evil twin named June from Aura Brooch. I had an imaginary evil twin named June who lived in the attic. Whenever I did anything wrong, I blamed her, so my parents would make her write apology letters. I'm right-handed, so I used my left hand to write them, thinking this would fool them. Twenty years later, I'm playing poker, and a dude at the table called me June. I honestly did a double take until I realized he had just forgotten my actual name. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird, though. Yeah, that is weird. I'd be like, ooh. Okay, next one. How did he come up with these backstories from Anonymous? I didn't have any siblings, so I often was lonely at home, especially before I started going to school. I had imaginary friends, though, dozens of them. Most of them were pigs from the planet Zion. My parents were atheists, so I had no idea where I came up with this. Off the top of my head, I remember Good Piggy, Naughty Piggy, and Peter, but Peter wasn't around much because he always had to go to church. Again, no idea where these ideas came from. There was also a pink bird named Sweetie. I knew they weren't actually real, but at the time I couldn't control them. They did whatever they wanted, especially Naughty Piggy. Once I started going to school and making real friends, they slowly stopped coming by, and I assumed they all went back to live on Zion. (laughs) That's weird. Okay, um... Next one, Jessica the pirate got her into trouble from I'm a Mandolin. I had a few 
that are truly believed in. Apparently, I used to talk to them, invite them places, etc. My best imaginary friend was Jessica the Pirate. She would get me into trouble all the time. I don't remember most of the things she did because I was quite young, but I vividly remember one trip to Florida. She pushed me into a nasty, stagnant water at a mini golf place, and I got into trouble for it. I wish I was joking. <laughs> was it real or not? Mm. Next one, the old lady from Jumping Bean 12. When I was just a toddler between the ages of one and two, my mom said I would sit in my crib and talk to someone. I vaguely remember an old lady who would tell me mommy would be coming soon to help me. She said out of the corner of her eye, she would see an old lady from time to time and that the lights would shut off on their own sometimes. I think the house was haunted and I was talking to a ghost. Hmm. Seemed like a nice one, though. Yeah nice old lady uh next one even made food for splashy from intermag his name was splashy in kindergarten i told a girl she could most definitely not swing on the swing next to me because splashy was swinging there and she could wait her goddamn turn well (laughs) needless to say the teacher had a talk with me about that i also used to make splashy soup which consisted of everything i could get my hands on thrown in the food processor or blender and baked in the oven with to a crisp puke-like tendons or consistency (laughs) missed that guy (laughs) and my last one is the little blonde girl from ricotta puffs We stayed with my grandparents when I was three for a few months while my family was between houses. I had an imaginary friend, a little blonde girl. Years later, though, I wondered about her. I first saw her when she was skipping down my grandmother's hallway. I was trying to nap on my grandmother's bed. She she stopped outside the bedroom door. The girl stopped skipping and said, oh, you can see me. Oh, that's great. I got chills again. (laughs) Okay, that's all I had for this week. Alrighty. It's time for the witty wrap-up. Yay, witty wrap-up! These are um, funny, like, kids embarrassing people. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) My daughter's daycare had circle time every morning as a way to start the day. Anyway, we were late and walked into the middle of the circle time. My daughter said, We're late because my mommy had diarrhea. (gasps) Oh my gosh! No! So bad. (laughs) Oh, and what do you do? What do you, what do you, I mean, it's already out there. Well, yeah, that's true. Okay. When my sister was pregnant with my nephew, my sister kept the baby's name a secret from my four-year-old niece. While babysitting my niece, I convinced her that her parents were planning to name the new baby Home Slice. She announced her new brother's name to everyone in her daycare, random strangers at the grocery store, or anyone who who would listen. My sister still hasn't forgiven me for that one. Home Slice. That's hilarious. Was riding on a public bus, and my five-year-old put her hand on a guy's shoulder in the seat in front of us and said, This man is very fat. Oh. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> my daughter decided to strip completely naked, nappy and all, 
in the shop when I had my back turned for about five seconds. Oh my gosh. I only became aware when a lovely lady tapped me on my shoulder and whispered into my ear, excuse me, love, your child is dancing naked beside the potatoes. (laughs) What the heck? Oh my gosh. When I was five or six, we were at my dad's company picnic. I was introduced to his boss, and I told him, My daddy says you're a son of a bitch. Oh, my dad's co-workers fed me ice cream all afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. When you die? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you can't say anything around kids. Oh, my gosh. You're a funny little man, but I like your hat. My four-year-old said to a little person in the airport who was wearing a cowboy hat. I practically wanted to keep walking and leave him there. Then I heard the man respond, thank you, and you're a funny little man too. He was great about it, and several of us ended up smiling instead of being mortified. Aw, that's great. (laughs) So honest. Yeah. I was waiting in A&E with my three-year-old son after he swallowed a thumbtack. Oh, shit. I needed to pee and had to take him with me into the small toilet beside the waiting room. I midstream, and he shouts out in his best voice, Dad, your willy is so big. Oh, my God. Everyone in the packed waiting room heard him, and the rest of the wait was pretty awkward. I nearly died of embarrassment. <laughs> It could have been worse. It, it could have been said it small. was so little. I mean, <laughs> why is your willy so small, Dad? <laughs> that would be embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, it's so funny. Once we invited a couple from church over to our house for the first time to watch a Bears game. At the time, my son was three or four and would refer to the teams by their jersey color. Well, that day they were playing the Falcons and the Bears were in white. A few minutes into the game, my son wanders up to me and quietly asks, which one is Bears? I told him it was the white team, to which he then shouts out, Yeah, we cheer for the white guys because we don't like black guys, right, Dad? I had to awkwardly say, yes, the Falcons are wearing black, and today we do not like them because they're against the Bears. Everyone laughed a bit, but there were some side glances. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. When I was about four, I must have had some kind of infection or itch down there. And one morning at breakfast, my dad's co-worker came in to pick up my dad for work. I said, hi, Don. My vagina hurts. (laughs) And he politely ignored me. But I kept saying it over and over and over. Don, can you hear me? My vagina hurts. Guess I just wanted some acknowledgement, but my parents just wanted to die. The poor guy was doing his best to pay no attention to me, but I was making it pretty difficult. Oh my gosh. <laughs> poor guy. He's like, oh my god, what the fuck? <laughs> Never picking this asshole up again. <laughs> my daughter is eight now, but when she was two, I taught her to say behold instead of look. We'd be at the store or something, and she'd go point out whatever damn thing she saw. Daddy, behold! (laughs) He did that to himself. Yes, he did. (laughs) 
and my last one in the toilets at a local supermarket mother nature was paying her visit my four-year-old son came in the toilet with me went running out of the toilet to announce to his grandma and the rest of the supermarket that my mommy has a piece of string hanging out her bum (gasps) oh my god oh my gosh that would be so horrible (laughs) well really could you imagine seeing that as a kid and being like what the fuck (laughs) do i have one of those are you supposed to have a string (laughs) can you pull it what happens when you pull it does a little bell go off somewhere oh my gosh okay (laughs) thank you guys so much for listening we really appreciate it again rate review subscribe wherever you listen send us stories send us stories for witty wrap-up if you have creepy stories aliens bigfoot um things you found in walls um anything anything send it to us schools night out podcast at gmail.com um you can find us on facebook we are on twitter and lauren i'm trying to get an instagram started i'm not sure about it but um we're gonna give it a try (laughs) see how it goes so yeah find us um anywhere that you listen and again thank you so much for listening we will talk to you next week later bye